Amen. Thank you, Brother Clint, for, for leading us in worship this morning and for continuing uh, to encourage us to give through the Heifer Project. To remind you, the ark is there in the back. For those of you that like to give, uh, we're still continuing our offering at the back table, so you can give your offering, and in the ark you can put your gift uh, for the Heifer offering as well. So thank you all for, for joining us this morning. Uh, the last time we were all here together was the last Sunday in June. Um, we had the Covenant Brethren Church here uh, to share a little bit. Uh, about you know, about their their new fellowship and uh, just just to give us some fact finding information and and for us to begin to consider whether as a church uh, whether that is an, an option for us and uh, we will be having a board meeting in August uh, uh, that we'll have date for you it's a third uh, Wednesday in August or second Wednesday in August but soon enough we'll be discussing some of these things and we do appreciate especially those of you that were there last week, or not last week, uh, the last Sunday in June. Uh, we do appreciate your input, uh, just your thoughts on, on you know, the, that meeting and your thoughts about our church in the future. This certainly isn't a decision that one person is going to make. Um, well, if there is a decision to be made, it will be as together as, as a community, as a congregation. And so I would, would, would ask that you be in prayerful consideration of this. And, and uh, so that was the last Sunday in June. Uh, the next week was the Wakoka uh, um, was the Wakoka Peace Park service, and last Sunday we had uh, we ended up having our picnic downstairs um, in in the church basement. And by the way, that was the first time in 491 days that we had had a fellowship meal in the basement. So that was although it was a Plan B, it still was a celebration that we were able to have a meal uh, in the church basement again. And so. I introduced um, a a new series very quickly in just a short devotion that I want to go into, uh, continue to introduce, um, that has a lot to do with the last meeting that we had uh, here at the end of June. Because we have to talk about some stuff. Um, We have to do these kinds of things biblically. And what I I shared is that this is actually a series I really don't want to do that much. I don't know how it sounds to hear pastors say this. I really don't want to do this series that much, but I, I, I really do feel like I have to. By that, I mean, uh, in, in so many other words, a big part of what we're going to have to talk about in this next series that we're calling Cast the First Stone, based off of the text that Clint just read, is we're going to have to talk about sin. We're going to have to identify what it is and and why we would consider doing something like what, like what the CBC, those who have joined the CBC have done. And where does our authority, where does our reasoning uh, for doing that come back to? And is it just about sin in the Bible? Well, sure, it's about sin, but it's also about grace. It's also about responsibility. And it's also about love. And so when we talk about sin, it's very easy to talk about someone else's sometimes, isn't it? But oftentimes the finger is going to get pointed back to you. And that's where we see, we recognize grace and we have to learn how to take responsibility and we have to learn how to love. So I'm not going to try to give this to you quickly as, as I'm not good at doing anyway, but I want to unpack a few things for you and, and help us to come to terms with what this could mean for our church. Um, I, I'm not talking about big picture wise. I'm talking about biblically. What does it look like for us to be in a culture where the Bible is continuing to, to, to be placed as a much lower authority, that there's more important things that we should, we should base off of. And I was talking to someone before service. That is what is happening in our, unfortunately, that's what is happening in our, our current denomination. 
Uh, so, so what does it mean? What, if, if what uh, the CBC had shared is what is biblically wrong, then through this series, we want to begin to understand what is biblically right. That's not just identifying what sin is, but understanding what it means to be people of grace, understanding what it means to be people of personal responsibility as individuals and as a church, and also understanding what it means to be people of love who can still extend outstretched arms to anyone uh, who, is, who is going through something and is caught in sin in their life. So we're going to pack a few things, and, and the kids start Bible school next week. And today, we're going to have our own little Bible school. I started, Nick, I don't know if you've seen yet, all the daggone scriptures I put on there. Uh, Actually, the feature said, while I was entering that, it just said, do you just want to put the whole Bible on here and move on? So there's a lot of scriptures today. I'm really not going to, I feel like I'm not going to preach too much. I'm going to actually show you, we'll talk about these scriptures. I'm actually going to show you what the Bible says about a lot of things. Um, But this is an important series, because it will inform... um, a decision or the absence of decision, it will help us to define this moment for us as a church. And, but it's important that we approach this biblically, not just with our own understanding. It's important that we, we approach this with, if we're going to place the Bible as the authority, then let's see what the Bible says about sin, about grace, about responsibility, and about love. So we join me in a word of prayer as we begin uh, this series this morning. Well, Lord, thank you for each and every one that has come today. I thank you that we have not been left to figure things out without any help. What a relief that is. You've given us your word as, as, as an ultimate authority. It speaks of your character. It speaks of who you are. It reminds us of the nature of God. But, Lord, you've also given us your spirit as we shared last Sunday, as, as theologically God the Father is in heaven, Christ is at his right hand, but the Holy Spirit is right here with us now, not in the air, but dwelling in the hearts of men and women that are here. What a crazy thought. God, you are present through the people who have come here this morning. And it is through them, through their yielding to your presence, that we allow you to be present in the earth. What a responsibility we have to the presence of God in our lives. What a responsibility we have to uphold authority. What a responsibility we have to receive and distribute grace and ultimately the responsibility to do as you have called us to do, to love others as you have loved us. So, Lord, may we find ourselves at your feet this morning as your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I read through John 8 uh, verses 1 through 11 last Sunday, and Clint read the second portion of that. So Nick's going to, I'm not going to read all the way through this text of this morning, but I'm going to, because I'm going to be in plenty of of scriptures today. But I do want to just highlight um, a few things this morning. Uh, when, as we get into this text. So we want to begin, if you take a look at, at John chapter 8 and verse 9. John chapter 8 and verse 9, it says, At this, those who heard 
began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was straightened up. Excuse me, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with a woman still standing there. So the first thing I, want, I wanted to mention is it says when, when Jesus asked all of them, when he says to them, the first, let any one of you who is without sin to be the first to throw a stone at her, they all began to go away one at a time. So what happened to them in that moment? Why did they all begin to go away? What it was it that they realized about themselves? That they all have sinned. It's like at that moment, for the first time, maybe they saw themselves in the middle of that circle. Maybe they saw themselves in that adulterous woman. Wait, maybe if, if this is the standard that we're going to go by, which, by the way, is in Levitical law. It's actually in Scripture in, in Leviticus and Deuteronomy that this is what you're supposed to do for someone who's caught in adultery. And I said last week, well, I also don't know why the man's not being brought forth because the same thing's supposed to happen to him. But in this case, they bring the woman forward and they're doing what Old Testament law, Leviticus and Deuteronomy said to do. And as Jesus shares in, in the book of Matthew, he says he did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. And so this is what Jesus is doing in this moment. He is fulfilling the law, and he is telling them, go ahead, those of you who are without sin, cast the first stone. I hope you have a bit of a revelation moment just looking at that text, just like the people in that text did. Oh, well, yeah, I'm not without sin. I can't, I can't do this. I'm not qualified to end this woman's life. And, and in that moment, they, they had a realization about themselves. I can't, I can't tell you whether their attitudes were good about it. I can't tell you whether they walked away and their lives were completely changed. I think the scripture alludes to something different than that, other than that Jesus won the day. He had the words of wisdom of the day and the Pharisees that were trying to set him up lost. And as if they walked away with just one more time where they could not accuse Jesus, one more time where they could not prove him wrong. And I wonder how many times we have moments the same where we try to run from the will of God, but we still find ourselves saying, Lord, your ways are better than mine. And then verse 10, this is what Jesus says to the woman. He says, he straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? No one has, has no one condemned you? Has no one condemned you? And the word that he used there is the word condemned. I'm going to get into that a little bit later. In verse 11, then it says, no one, sir, she said, then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. Go now and leave your life of sin. So is there a responsibility for this woman after she leaves Jesus? Is there a responsibility for her? Yes. Jesus gave her a very specific command. Go now and leave your life of sin. You have a responsibility here 
uh, in regards to what has just taken place. So in this context, so this verse, we're going to keep coming back to this. You're going to see this all throughout this series. But uh, all eyes are on Jesus in this moment as to how he is going to respond to this woman. Because they brought out a woman where a couple times in, in the Old Testament, Leviticus and Deuteronomy, it says that this is what you're supposed to do with someone caught in adultery. It's in the Ten Commandments, by the way. Okay, This is what you are supposed to do. And what is Jesus going to do in this moment? I want to show you throughout this series that you see all four of those things. Jesus is doing all four of those things in this text. He's identifying sin. He's distributing grace. He is placing responsibility on the woman as she walks away and lives the life that she has to live. But guess who else he also placed responsibility on? Exactly. Nailed it, Donna. Everyone that's sitting there with a stone in their hand also experienced responsibility for the sin in their own life. And then finally, this, the way that Jesus has approached this without judgment, instead he's approaching it with love, with genuine concern for everyone standing in the circle and with concern for that woman who has walked away. And now... He continues to place that as the foundation for the new covenant, grace and love. So we're going to see this theme throughout because we can't, we can't go back to that last thing, slide still, Nick. Um, we're going to see this theme throughout because we can't take away these pieces. When we talk about sin and when we talk about grace even, we can't deny that sin exists. When we talk about responsibility, we still can't deny that we need to approach others in love. All of these themes are relevant in this story, and all of these things have to be relevant when we talk about sin in the church and when we talk about uh, what kind of a stand we are going to take, what kind of a, a, a stand we are going to take as a church, or what our responsibility is going to be. All of these themes are relevant. And so now, let's, I'm going to, uh, I already knew when I got into this today that uh, I'm going to have to take a couple weeks to unpack, so I'm, we're going to go to Bible school now. We're going to talk just a little bit about sin so we can have an understanding and an identity of what sin is. So Nick's just going to pop up some texts. And if you want to, if you like to take notes and stuff, you can kind of write down just these verses. But many of these, especially right out the gate, you've heard before Romans 3.23 says that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Who has sinned? Just, just a couple of you guys here. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The next one, Romans 6.23. Romans 6.23. I put that one in there. Oh, maybe it was the first one. I I jumped to three, didn't I? The first one should be Romans 6.23. Well, simply for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I think I missed a couple of verses, but that's or a couple of words in there, but that's the verse, Romans 6:23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God. You can get Romans 3:23 up there for us. Or 6:23. I'll move on to the next one. Don't worry about it. I'll move on to the next one. So in the 10 commandments, Let's just see if we can pull some of these out. What are, the Ten Command- what, what are some of the things the Ten Commandments say? Just one word definition. What does the Ten Commandments talk about? What are some things you're not supposed to do in the Ten Commandments? We just talked about one. Adultery. Anybody know some of the other ones? 
murder, murder, steal, uh, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. No, actually, it doesn't say that in there, but it's a good idea, and it comes later in the New Testament. Honor your father and mother, correct? Any others? Give false testimony, is that what you said? Thou shalt not what? Have no other gods before me. Nailed that one. It's about five of them. All right. I'll give you some of the rest of them. Um, idols shall not have no other idols. Honor the Sabbath. Um, give false testimony. And the one maybe we often forget about, covet. Not even once some of the things that your neighbors have. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not desire these things. And so, so then we get the idea, we get Galatians 5, 19 through 21. We're going to spend a couple moments here. Um, hopefully I can do this without my glasses. But Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Paul identifies the acts of the flesh. Now, uh, it's no question that what we talked about at the end of June had to do with a big issue, had to do with sexuality in the church. You're going to find... Uh, sexual morality in here. It says the acts of the flesh are obvious. What's the first one on the list? Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred. What? Hatred's on the same list as sexual immorality? Discord, jealousy, fits of rage. Same list as sexual morality. Selfish ambition, that's a lot like the covetous you just talked about. Dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. So drunkenness is on the same list as sexual immorality when Paul is talking about uh, the acts of the flesh. I've just given you a couple verses in Romans. Keep that verse up there for a minute. A couple verses in Romans about sin. I've talked to you a little bit about the Ten Commandments and what the Ten Commandments do to identify sin. And then we looked at a list, and in this list, you know, as our church goes, we feel like we need to talk about sexual morality. And guess what? In the upcoming weeks, we're going to talk about sexual immorality. We're going to put it right through this lens of sin, grace, responsibility, and love. But what what about this other stuff on the list? Should we not talk about those things? Are these not as big a sins as sexual immorality? Drunkenness isn't that big of a deal? Is it just the thing that everybody does? You know, we know everybody gets drunk every once in a while, so it's not that big of a deal. Everybody has sexual morality every once in a while, so it's not that big of a deal. Uh, Everybody hates people every once in a while. Everybody pursues their own selfish ambitions above everything else every once in a while. You see where I'm going with this church? This can be very hypocritical if we're not careful. Scripture scripture has always been very clear about what sin is and identifying what sin is. And I'm going to unpack that even more for you here in a minute. But just as the people in the hands, with, with the stones in their hands with that adulterous woman, the responsibility oftentimes is going to come back on us. Okay. If I'm going to make a decision as a church that this is wrong because of what the Bible says, isn't it time for me to now reconsider what I continue to do that is wrong 
that I know that the Bible says is wrong, that I know the Bible says is destructive for me, that I know the Bible says is dangerous, that I know the Bible says separates me from God. If we're going to point the finger in the other direction, if we're going to pick up a stone to end someone's life, to, end the, to, to judge, we do need to be willing to do the same thing as an individual's and even as we set standards for our church. See, this is what I mean why these are things we need to talk about. When we, we talk about one issue of sin, and I think it is important that we do, we can't be naive to the fact of all the other stuff that is going on in our lives that we need to deal with. And how we approach sin as a church in general. What does that look like for the individual? and What does that look like for us as a church? And so since we're talking about sin, I'm just going to give you a few works, words real quick. Um, oh, by the way, you know, some of the things we are going to talk about in upcoming weeks, I told you we're going to talk about sexuality. We may take some things right off of this list, like envy, like selfish ambition, like jealousy. We're going to talk about alcoholism. We're going to talk about drunkenness as well in upcoming weeks. And if you feel, uh, as you're here this Sunday, if you feel like there's something that may need to be added to that list, I would love to... We'd love to have a message on that in upcoming weeks, and that's something that we can talk about together as a church. And so um, when we get to, oh, let me get this verse real quick. I almost forgot. John, 1 John uh, 1, 8 through 10. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Let's just reflect on that one for a minute. John makes a huge biblical, spiritual assumption there. That every one of you in this room who is a Christ follower already know. All, you already know what you had to lay the stone down for. You already know when Jesus says, if you claim to be without sin, what he's talking about. What it is for you that you continue to fall short of. What it is for you that you continue to struggle with. And he says, if you claim, but if you claim to be without it, you deceive yourself and the truth is not in you. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and will purify us from all unrighteousness. And if we claim we have not sinned, we make him, referring to Jesus, out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Just a word I, I know you, you catch that we understand that we are all in this together. So quickly, I just want to do, just go through some of the, the word study with this. So we're unpacking and identifying exactly what sin is. There's actually 23 different Greek and Hebrew words that we get our understanding of what, that we translate in English, just simple S-I-N, sin. But, so I want to focus the three primary Hebrew words. I'm not going to share what the words are, but I'm going to give you what their definitions are. They, they have the idea of missing the mark is the first one. Choosing, the second one is choosing to reject God. And then the third one has this idea of perversity, depravity, or guilt. So there's three there. The first one is like that we miss the mark. No matter, that's almost like the unknown. No matter what we try to do, we're not holy like God is. We're imperfect. We fall short. We miss the mark. In the Greek, hamartia that's one of the best definitions of what sin is. Missing the mark of God's holiness, as, as Romans 3.23 tells us, all have fallen short of God's grace. The second one deals with a choice 
to rebel, our, cho- our choosing to rebel in some way, our choosing knowing what we're supposed to be doing and choosing to go in the other direction. In the Hebrew, they define sin that way. And then the third was, has to do with a state, a state that one can be in where they're in the state of depravity, a state of, of guilt and a state of shame. And then the New Testament, we get about five different primary words, similar ideas as the Hebrew. We get missing the mark again, as I told you, in Hamartia, uh, choosing again to rebel. We get the ideas of injustice uh, that's translated directly to sin in the New Testament. And we also get these ideas of falsehood or darkness. These are ideas, that, these are things that are in opposition to the truth or the way of God. So with this brief semantic study, we can recognize that sin is that which misses the intention of God, that which rebels or rejects God, and that which distorts one's inner being away from God, that which is false in comparison to the truth, and that which is unjust or unrighteousness. So what does sin do to you can be identified very well in Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. Nick, if you pull that one up. Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. Remember, you remember these two people in the Bible named Adam and Eve? Which one was the guy? And the, Adam was the guy and Eve was the girl. Okay. This says, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord. This was right after, this is right after the apple was eaten. Okay. This is right after they had, they had done something wrong. This is what sin does to us. It's one of the best uh, illustrations in Scripture of what sin does to you in your relationship with the living God. He says, The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from him. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Leave that there for a second. So who left? (laughs) Who kind of ran from who in this case? Adam and Eve did. They went away from where they normally were in relationship to God. They moved away from the safe place, from a place of intimacy. And then he said, he answered, I heard, this is Adam answering, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from. And then the man blames it on the woman. You've heard the rest of the story, right? Now, in this piece, we see for the first time insecurity. We see Adam's insecurity. And it was his insecurity that separated him from God. His feeling of unworthiness, his recognition that he was not made right. His, he recognized some way this separation and, the, and, and, and God, the, the man and the creator were in intimacy and all of a sudden now man realizes he cannot be in the presence of the creator anymore. He said, who told you? God told him, who told you that you were naked? I never told you these things. You, in other words, he told these things to himself. He realized these things himself. He now was in a moment of separation from the living God. And this is what we see in Scripture. Put, put Galatians 5, 22 through 23 up there. I'll get to that in just a second. So this is what we see, this separation 
in Scripture. This is what sin does. Now, this is a word for for you as an individual, why it is important for us to deal with these things in our life. And so this, there's fruit of this. We just read about all of the fruit of, of the flesh when I talked about jealousy, sexual morality, discord, envy, drunkenness. All these things are, are, the, are, are the acts, the deeds of the flesh. These, these are evidence of the absence of God. These are evidence of us acting upon our own means like Adam did in this text and, and experiencing things for ourselves uh, separate from God in some ways. But... Where does it say? It says right here, but this, the fruit of the what? What is the Spirit? The Spirit of God inside of you, the evidence that God is with you, the evidence that God is working in your life. So the the presence of God within you is is shown through love, through joy, through peace, through forbearance, through kindness, through goodness, through faithfulness, through gentleness, through self control. Important thing we got to realize is God has not left us in our sin. We leave him. And this has been the mystery of scripture. This has been the mystery of understanding what is our next thing we want to talk about for just a minute here, which is grace. Grace is the free gift of God that he has distributed to us. The first verse I have up there for grace, Nick. Should be Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. The next verse should be Ephesians, or excuse me, Romans 3, 24. You got it? And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And then finally, Romans 5, 20 through 21. Interesting verse. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. What in the world does that mean? The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Does anybody unpack that first verse there? Because it's, it's kind of a weighty verse. I spent a little bit of time and studied this. Because it can be kind of confusing if you look at it too long. You know, like, like, uh, like yourself in the mirror in the morning. That happens to me all the time. I get confused when I look at myself too long. But this is, when you look at this verse, what he's saying is that the, that the law was brought in to show us this is how we fall short. Here you go. This is evidence. God is this way. This is how you're not. This is how you fall short of the glory of God. If we give you the law, you're going to find so many ways. You're going to find so many ways that you're going to drop the ball. So many ways you're going to drop the ball. So we're going to show you what it, what, here's how you're going to have to come to God when you drop the ball because we're already prepared for all the different ways that you're going to drop the ball. I love that. We've, the Lord has always had a plan for our sin. He doesn't have issue with our sin. We do. It brings forth us insecurity. It brings forth us separation. And what he offers us, as it says in this text, so that grace would increase all the more. 
so that through recognizing our sin and all of the sin that we all fall short, God would have opportunity after opportunity to distribute grace, to do what he does best and distribute grace time and time. (coughs) Excuse me, time and time again. That's what he does. He is a grace distributor. It is a free gift of God that we are still accepted as we turn from our sin, acknowledge our sin, and repent of our sin, so there will always be an opportunity for grace to be in this world. And so now, God keeps giving grace, so we must keep receiving and giving grace as well. See, I'm always, I'm always torn between this this pendulum of we must be people that can identify sin in our life. But we can't be people who condemn ourselves for it. We must be people who know how to deal with it and turn and receive grace. Yes, you've fallen short, but yes, your story is not over. Yes, the living God is working in your life and ready to transform you. I, th- I believe we see this right here in this last verse To live in a world where both of these things exist. Sin and grace. John 8, 11. Here's what it says again. When when the woman asked Jesus, excuse me, when Jesus asked the woman who has condemned you, she said, no one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Go now and leave your life your life of sin. Lots of truth loaded right there in that passage. He said, I do not condemn you. I do not condemn you. I I do this often for you, so hopefully you've got the difference between these two words by now. The difference between condemnation, what Jesus does not do, what we are not to do to ourselves, and really what we are not to allow the way someone looks at us, the things that someone says of us, to, to do to us as well. Condemnation. Condemnation is, is where we, we, we see ourselves as a failure. We, we see ourselves as someone who is never capable of God's love, who is never capable of, of, of growing, who is never capable of changing. That's what condemnation does. But what the Spirit of God is, the fruit of the Spirit that we have, and the Spirit of God in our life, <coughs> excuse me, brings forth, Conviction. A similar translation. Hebrews 11.1 says, Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Some of your translations will get our English word, the conviction of things not seen. In other words, the things of God. It is the presence of God in our life. Conviction is the presence of God in our life that is an invitation to us. That in our sin, God reminds us, hey, what are you doing? I I got something better for you than this. Let me show you my way. This is what you're experiencing and you think this works, but it's really not bringing you the fulfillment that you're longing for. I have something better for you. Paul understood that. That's why he put the fruit of the Spirit next 
to the deeds of the flesh to show you the contrast because this is what someone who's living in sin looks like, but this is what someone who chooses to pursue their own conviction and live within the presence of God. Conviction is an invitation. Condemnation is a separation. Condemnation brings forth insecurity just like Adam and Eve in the garden. But conviction is God's invitation to something better. We must be people who obey our conviction, who identify sin in our life and can receive grace that is available to us time and time again. So as we conclude this morning, we got to see ourselves in both worlds. Just like right, right here what happens in John 8 verse 11. Yes, the woman was caught in sin. Jesus never changed the law. The law called this sin. But the problem was who the accusers were. The problem was ultimate judgment. And so Jesus was changing how, he, how this was going to be approached. He was fulfilling the law in this moment. So there was responsibility this woman had to take for the sin in her life. But she also needed to recognize that she was not condemned and receive grace. So you and I, each and everyone here, have the responsibility as individuals to do that in our own lives. Take responsibility for our sin, call it what it is, but also receive grace. And if we're doing that in our own life, these biblical issues, these cultural issues... I know they can seem kind of complicated at times because culture keeps changing and culture keeps saying, well, this is okay now. I know, our, I know your grandparents thought this was really bad, but now we've decided and figured out this is actually good for us if we do this, okay? I know there's things out there that are confusing us, but if we are people that are dealing with sin in our life and receiving grace, church, if we come back to the table and learn how to be the church together, these things aren't going to be that complicated because we get it. Because it's happening in us. I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I've fallen short of the glory of God. But each and every time I come back and I receive grace from the living God. So because I'm a sinner who receives grace, I know how to identify sin, but also distribute grace at the same time. I promise you, if you allow this to continue to take place in your life, we as a church can deal with these issues. With grace, with sin, with identifying sin, with grace, responsibility, and love. Let me pray for you. Well, Lord, today as we begin this series, and I know today's message has a lot of theological concepts and a lot of scriptures that, that have a lot of weight to them. But I just want your people to understand that you are real. <laughs> that you are working in our midst today. We don't have to figure these things out by putting I, I, scriptures, just by, just by putting scriptures together in the Bible or by coming up with our own ideas. But the fruit of the Spirit is evident just as the, is the, the acts of the flesh are evident. And Lord, you will work in our life if we will let you. And if we will submit ourselves to the grace, to the blood of Christ and identify sin in our life and receive the grace that is available for us when we do, then we will have clean hands 
to deal with issues of sin in this world and in the lives of others as well. This is one of those things where experience is a bit of a prerequisite. Not experience with with specific sin, but experience with identifying sin and receiving grace. We must be men and women of God that are yours, that are molded, that are repentant, and they're willing to do your work in this world for such a time as this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, at this time, I want to invite you to stand for your benediction. As we reflect upon John 8, verses 1 through 11, may you leave the sin in your life. May you receive and distribute grace. And may you hear your calling that comes through conviction to a better way that the living God has for you. God bless you and have a wonderful week.